Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. December 7th. Earth 2. 1941. A world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. Welcome to the Tales of the Justice Society of America. This is episode number 73, and my name is Scott Gardner. And my name is Jorge Sanchez. <laughs> Actually, it's it's Michael Bailey, because you listen to this voice, and the last name Sanchez probably don't go together very well. And I'm, I feel kind of bad, because I'm a little stuffed up today, because of the weather's screwed up here in Georgia, so... I don't know how this synopsis is going to go, but I'm going to I'm going to do it the best I can. <laughs> do it at the That was actually the theme song to uh Just the 10 of Us. I don't know if you remember that show. Mm, it sounds vaguely familiar. It was a spin-off of Growing Pains oh, where God. the coach moves his like predominantly female family to this new area. There's like one boy and all of his hot daughters. Did you ever watch any good television growing up? I'm just curious. Do you really want to go toe-to-toe on what <laughs> we watched growing up on television, sir? You, sir, grew up in the 70s. 
Yes. And if you're going to tell me that everything was freaking awesome, I'm going to call you a I won't say everything is awesome, but, you know, most of the stuff that I watched was, was fairly awesome. I, I, I just, I've never... The $6 I've million never, dollar man wasn't on every night. I, I, I just never had a lot of time for, for, for crap, you know? I've, I've always had a pretty low crap threshold, you know what I mean? Really? Yeah. Really? Really? (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly I am like, (laughs) I was about to do Ahmed the Dead Terrorist again, but I've done that on (laughs) podcasters. And my wife goes, I kill you! No, I, no I, I did have that thought the other day. You uh, you use Audacity to edit, too. Yes. And, uh, you know, there's that generate feature where you can do the tone where, you know, if we f- swear, I can throw in a beep over the word f- um, like you're gonna Like you're going to do now, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> like everyone just heard. You heard the generate feature in action. Congratulations. Um, but there's also... Uh, one that says silence, and I really wish I could, <laughs> I could go, I could put after that, I kill you. <laughs> so. Ah, audacity! The new version is so much better than the old one. Oh, is there a new one out? Uh, there's a beta version for Windows Seven that I've been using. Ah, that um, that's a everything about it is better. The only problem is, is that. When I first start using it, apparently, even though it's a computer program and and shouldn't be like this, it's like an old car where when you start using it, it runs kind of slow. But after a while, it starts picking up speed because I'll like I'll like select a section to cut out. Right. And when I first start editing, it always takes like three minutes for that to happen. And then eventually it just is no time at all. So apparently it's like, you know my Toyota Tercel from when I was growing up <laughs> and my first car where you know when it first started up it sucked but you know once you got that thing warmed up it was wait was that Tercel or was that the girl I dated in the 10th grade <laughs> oh boy I'm in a weird mood tonight ah oh I can see where this is headed already <laughs> well this is the first episode of us doing two books a week and, uh, yes. So uh, you heard the uh, All Star Squadron theme there at the beginning, and uh, after our little break coming up, you're going to hear the uh, the Infinity Incorporated theme, which I'm sure will make people happy again. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been meaning to send you some some music for the uh, for the I get, whatever you call this opener say this preamble segment. Because I've got a lot of, of big band stuff in my own collection, and I, I've just been meaning to send some some other tracks just so we have a little more variety in there. If if, if people actually want variety, so um, what should we play during the '80s preamble? Oh God, that could be scary. Uh, you know, I, I have no idea. Because because music with words is always kind of difficult putting under people talking. Right. Because then you have words going on, which is how music... I'm just sounding like a moron, so I'm going to stop. Um, no, I know what you mean, though, because, I mean, that's the nice thing about the big band stuff is it's just, you know, it's generally it's just, you know, big band music with, with not a lot of words to it. But, yeah, the 80s thing, I don't know if that would work as well, uh, you know. 
I mean, what are, what are we going to play? Like a bunch of Philip Glass? And uh, I don't even know if he was 80s. He might even be 70s. So Yeah. I, you know, there's got to be some, some 80s instrumental stuff of some kind. I'm blanking on anything at the moment, but there's got to be something in there that would be somewhat appropriate for the for the time period i just i can't think of anything off the top of my head you know what i mean yeah there's got some you know like i don't know like john teshi you know uh yanni yanni type of thing you know that (laughs) that would be appropriate to the to the time i don't know maybe something like like hooked on classics or whatever well i don't know was that 70s i think that was late so i don't know well, well, well like a like that. a fifth of beethoven is that what you were something like that yeah i don't i i don't know there's got to be I'll, I'll have to do a little homework on that but yeah i don't i don't want like pop 80s stuff for one thing i you know i have to listen to that all day long at work so i really don't want to bring that to, to you love let's hear it for the boy don't even try oh my god life. that song is on our playlist and i figured it uh, yeah, was I, I didn't know I, it was and i just after that, that song yeah, I, I mean, I'm not. You know, when it comes to music, I've I've never been a pop person anyway. So yeah. Well, uh, well, pop um, as in what was pop at the time? At the time, yeah. That's the same, Te- yeah. Technically, the Beatles music you like was pop music. Well, e- yes, when it first the, the, came yeah. out. So. Yeah. No, I I've never. Typically speaking, I've never been you know hip with the times, if you know what I mean. So. Yeah, and, and never more so than probably like in you know from from like the eighties on up. You know, it's just that typically whatever was popular was not my brand of music. I would pay good money to see you dancing to "Let's Hear It for the Boy." <laughs> I would I would seriously pay some freaking cash. I mean, like real cash, like on the table. Like you get a camera in there next time Chris comes. We gotta make this happen. Yeah, I don't think there's enough alcohol in the world for. Oh, there, there, there is always enough alcohol in the <laughs> world, sir. <laughs> and if I slipped you a hundred dollar bill, you wouldn't tell me no. So let's go. Oh, I don't know about that. We'll, we'll have to, we'll have to see. Maybe. <laughs> see, I'm gonna so, have to do some homework on this. Let's see, 1984, and just see what you know what was out there for uh, for semi-instrumental type music for 1984 and see what we might be able to come up with. Anyway, where were we going with all that? We weren't going anywhere. We're just kind of riffing here in the beginning because I think (laughs) both of us have had a really crappy week at work. And uh, this is just our kind of decompress. Three days, dude. It sucked. (laughs) Let let, let me put it this way. I can deal with someone yelling at me. I cannot deal with somebody crying in front of me. So, yeah, that was depressing. (laughs) What? It's a long story that I'm not going to go into. I'll tell you off air. Okay. But uh, (laughs) uh, there's so many people going, oh, damn, I wanted to hear this, too. Uh, well, long story short, we were doing a job, a print job for uh, a woman's the memorial service she's having for her husband, and it got screwed up. Whoops! So, uh, as I was sitting there trying to figure out how I could fix this, and uh, 
all that, she she started crying. And I just... There's nothing... There, <laughs> it's awkward in like seven different ways. So, Plus, I, I don't deal well with people crying in front of me. Anyway, usually I'm a pretty empathetic person, but when they start crying, it's... It's almost like you want to reach the hand over and go, they're there. No. They're there. No. So. You want to be like, hey, hey, do that outside, all right? <laughs> Knock that shit off. <laughs> I don't pay you to think hot lips. <laughs> so, but this week, uh, we are doing the, I guess, I guess we can we can say it like this, we're doing the May 1984 books. Pretty much, yeah. Suddenly it feels like from crisis to crisis. Quick, say something political. No. Okay. <laughs> no. No, I'm uh, I'm doing my best to stay away from political on this show. Yeah. Probably for the best, but I am starting things off this week with All-Star Squadron number 33. We've got Hell yes. Awesome cover by Rick Hoberg and Jerry Ordway who um I think we can agree is a much better inker for Mr. Hoberg uh, than the inker that we have inside the book. But that's me being kibitzy right here. It's It has the Freedom Fighters busting the hell out of a bunch of... Well, some of them look like Japanese troops and some of them look like American troops. So it looks like the Freedom <laughs> Fighters have just lost their minds. You got Black Condor lifting two guys in the air probably for making fun of his costume. You have the Ray <laughs> flying towards the the camera busting out you know light from his hands where one says awesome origin issue and the ray is saying the freedom fighters are here uncle sam is beating people with a gatling gun basically that's uh, i think that's an m60 i yeah, think an m60 excuse me sorry i the, the reason because of the the string of bullets but i'm not a big weapons guy no so. me either i mean I, I could be dead wrong about that the 60 may not have been invented yet but that it, it's similar to a 60 because it's got the little tripod underneath it, and it's got the belt hanging out. But uh, yeah, one way or the other, being clobbered with a gun like that would hurt. Yes, that would not be pleasant. Dollman is punching somebody in the face for not noticing him, and the Phantom <laughs> Lady is punching somebody in the face for. Well, they, they she's probably... totally saying, "Eyes are up here. Eyes are up here, dude." <laughs> yeah. The creative team on this story, which is the Battle of Santa Barbara times two. We even have a little new opening thing above it. Winter 1942, a world at war and against the forces of Axis Darkness. The mightiest heroes of Earth 2 have banded together under direct orders of the president as the All-Star Squadron. Written. And edited by Roy Thomas, penciled by Rick Hoberg, inked by Bill Collins, colored by Gene D'Angelo. Cody Starchild was the letterer. And the quote for this week, this month is, This is war. Death and destruction may come from the skies at any moment. Lieutenant General John DeWitt, commanding officer, 4th Army and Western Defense Command, somewhat overstating the case for California on the morning of December 8th, 1941. All right, the Spectre on the very first page is freaking the freak out as the otherworldly voice that restored him to mystic half-life two years before shows him what is going on with his fellow heroes on the alternate Earth. 
the Earth we know as Earth-X. Or Earth-Swastika, if uh, uh, before Julius Schwartz had his way with it. <laughs> what is going on is the Japanese are bombing the hell out of an oil refinery near Santa Barbara and landing troops to invade. After nearly getting blown up real good by an exploding shell, the Freedom Fighters roll call! We have Phantom Lady, Black Condor, the Human Bomb, the Ray, Doll Man, Uncle Sam, and the Red Bee. <laughs> One of these people is going to die. If you have not read the story yet, uh, you probably can guess who's going to die. <laughs> so, they head into battle to assist what little American forces have arrived to defend the refinery, with Uncle Sam warning his fellow heroes to be careful because they aren't bulletproof. As the battle begins, Sam thinks thinks that all things considered, if this is what Tojo had planned instead of bombing Pearl Harbor, then he shouldn't have inadvertently caused this crisis in the first place. I mean, they should have left well enough alone. Remember, folks, last issue it was revealed that Uncle Sam kind of instigated the Japanese to attack America on this earth. He didn't mean to, but it's what happened. I'm sorry. After a pretty wicked battle, where we get to see what the Freedom Fighters can do, the heroes decide to take the battle out to sea and let the troops mop up, mop up on shore. The Spectre wishes that he could go with them, but God pulls a Thor by, by going, I say thee nay, and explains that his aura is too powerful to travel to another universe. Lest Does that end- mean he stinks? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Spectre, you can't go because you you got stank ass. <laughs> B-O. Dude, I'm what's just saying, dying you know, here? I, oh. I always thought that, you know, a powerful aura was just, you know, was like code for, dude, you stink. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like confunk, but on a universal yeah, there scale. You go. <laughs> Apparently, whatever it is, is is too powerful to travel to another universe lest it rend the multiverse asunder or some shit like that. Meanwhile, Starman, Firebrand, Johnny Quick, and Liberty Bell head to the Santa Barbara of Earth 2. This is Santa Barbara a TV show? Hmm. Like like one of those like late night soap opera type things. I think he, I think you could be right. Yeah. Anyways, along the way, Liberty Bell and Johnny Quick have a fight, and it is revealed that Liberty Bell may have a would-be boyfriend in the form of Rick Cannon. American Intelligence. Doesn't that sound like a comic strip from the 40s? It sounds like a porn name. (laughs) Rick Cannon. (laughs) I guess so. Oh, and by the way, they're going to meet up with Cannon when they head to uh, Santa Barbara. Surprise, Johnny! (laughs) God, Liberty Bell's a bitch in this issue. (laughs) Yes, she is. (laughs) They land and find signs of a struggle near where they're supposed to meet Cannon. Bell and Starman take off to follow some tracks they found. Meanwhile, Firebrand and Johnny Quick head out to sea on their own search, and along the way we discover that Firebrand can fly. They find a drifting houseboat and Neptune Perkins, who has one wacky origin. Okay, apparently he was born with webbed feet, but that's not enough to make him a freak, right? He also has this sodium deficiency in his heart, that requires him to stay near the salt water of the ocean. 
So uh, he's kind of a shut-in. Uh, doesn't have all that much uh, <laughs> contact with people. And is uh, writing a book on sea life and uh, probably doing Dick Tracy slash fiction. But I'm not... I can't swear to that. So... This dude would totally have his own blog today. Um... Just before he can further explain why he doesn't know who the two heroes are, they spot a periscope and take off to investigate. Because, by the way, Neptune Perkins can swim, because we decided not to use Aquaman yet. Meanwhile, Starman and Liberty Bell follow the trail all the way to a warehouse in the Japanese part of the city. There they see a woman talking to both Nisei and Issei about how they, they need to stop being chumps and start fighting for their home country. She even has Cannon as a prisoner. Turns out the woman is Maya Shimada, otherwise known as Tsunami, and she is there to lead them in revolt against their American oppressors. Meanwhile, everyone's reaction is, what? When she is trying to get them to rebel against America. It's kind of funny, actually. She threatens Rick with her awesome strength, leading Liberty Bell and Starman to power up and attack. The fight is pretty brutal, and during a lull in the action... Starman reveals that Cannon is okay, kind of like Duke at the end of uh, G.I. Joe the movie. Tsunami announces that they have to die, but inadvertently kills her own father, who gets in the way. Tsunami flits, flips out and runs into the night. Meanwhile, the Spectre is dealing with the fact that the Earths are now merging, which means that both Earths would be destroyed, which means, wow, bad day for everybody. The Freedom Fighters on Earth-X board one of the destroyers, and after knocking the crew around a bit, they are face-to-face, or I guess face-to-helmet, with Baron Blitzkrieg. And not only that, the Baron has a prisoner. Our man. To be continued. Very well done, sir. Very well Thank done. Thank you. I like to bring energy to synopsis. <laughs> and make pithy comments. Me too. Because there was a lot to make pithy comments about it. (laughs) Yeah, there was, actually. (laughs) Although I'm going to end up taking exception with one of your pithy comments, but we'll wait wait until we get to that point. That's fair. So let's see. We want to do the uh, notes, right? Yes. uh, All right. So this is All-Star Companion number uh, number, uh, two, rather. This is the uh, comments for this issue. We've got... This issue features Rick Hoberg's first cover pencils for the title. Jerry Ordway continues to ink the covers. And I agree with you, sir. This is one awesome cover. I really, really like this. Uh, Captain Rick Cannon of G2, which is Army Intelligence, uh, first appeared in Liberty Bell's origin in Boy Commandos, number one. Now, what the hell was a girl doing in Boy Commandos? Don't have a clue. Uh, there he was called Ricky. Roy Thomas planned to eventually give him superpowers and call him Cap Cannon a la Doc Strange, but never got around to it. And uh, I think it's just as well because that's one goofy name. Yeah, we all won on that one. Uh, Tsunami says she is a – now, how do you pronounce this? Is it Kibay? Kibay? I don't know. K-I-B-E-I. A term of derision in Imperial Japan referring to one born abroad of Japanese parents but returning to live in Japan. Mia Shimada was given the codename Tsunami by Admiral uh, Yamamoto. I don't know how you pronounce that first name. Isoruko? Isoruko, I guess. Yamato. The naval commander behind the uh, December 1941 attack on Pearl Harbor. And I was just thinking as you were giving your synopsis, this actually was just an off-the-cuff note I took that, you know, 
I, I, in, in the spirit of giving credit where credit is due, thank God that her secret identity is something completely unrelated to her superhero identity. Because, you know, if, if this was a few years prior to this, her, her real name would have been something like Sue Nami. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, wow. You know, seriously. I mean, that happens all the time in comics where somebody's name turns out to be related to, like, their superpower or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, like, I, I, like I know what I, you're talking you know, about. You're a Kuimbi and stuff like that. You know, IQ, you know, that, that sort of thing. You don't like that kind of thing? It gets a little tiresome after, you know, like Edward Nigma. It's just silly, you know. When when you start, when you really get down to it, it, it's it's silly. What was his other name for a while? Oh yeah, it was in the question. I think is where that started. Where yeah, he was revealed that 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 Edward Nigma was an affectation. I think they ended up dropping that though. But yeah, I know what you mean. I I can't remember what that the actually other name works was. out a lot better for me. If it's an affectation, like that's the name he gives because he's just messing with you right yeah exactly so uh but yeah it, it, the silliness of that name which i kind of like but you know i can admit that it's silly the silliness of that name is really brought to bear in batman forever when uh val kilmer is sitting there putting everything together he goes edward nigma e nigma right it's like wow okay yep. when you say it out loud <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> Uh, let's see. Liberty Bell calls Tsunami a bargain basement Esther Williams, which is a moment I really liked in this issue, referring to the swimming star, uh, then starting to make a big splash in MGM movies. Uh, Roy Thomas uses the phrase Imperial Japan rather than simply Japan whenever possible to distinguish the 1942 military dominated Axis nation from the stable democracy of 1984. And as a parallel to the terms Nazi Germany and fascist Italy, which I, I think that's actually a good idea. Says the letters page contains a biographical letter from Green Lantern co creator Mark Nodell. Uh, let's see what else we've got here. There's a panel showing uh, the uh, the original first appearance of Neptune Perkins. It says here, Neptune Perkins makes his dramatic 1942 debut in issue number 33, surprising Johnny Quick and Firebrand. It says Neptune, or, uh, Neptune Perkins' real-world premiere was in Flash Comics number 66, the uh, August-September 1945 issue in a Hawkman story drawn by Joe Kuber and uh, probably written by Gardner Fox. And he looks different in that story. He looks almost like a, I mean, the outfit's pretty much the same, but his face, well, his hair, he looks almost like a caveman or something, like a seafaring caveman. Let, let's throw this out really quick, just to kind of deal with one of what I consider to be like the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Neptune Perkins and Tsunami are a lot older here than they are portrayed in Young All-Stars. And it kind of bugs me, actually. Here they're kind of adults. They're their teenagers. It's very strange. Well, I, I think you could... I I don't know. I, I could think you could sell Tsunami as a, as a teen. Um, I, I don't know. Just judging strictly by the picture I'm looking at in... Uh, in the all-star companion she looks like she could be a you know in her teens neptune perkins yeah definitely but by the way he's drawn in this issue i i get the feeling that he's you know contemporary with the with the all you know with most of the all-stars you know probably in his mid to late 20s so yeah i forgot about that that they actually kind of de-age him don't they well, well they say he's 20 here 
Mm. But on page 13 in that fourth panel, he kind of looks like Tonto. Right. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of strange. So, but um, not, not something to make me hate what's going on, but still. Something to mention uh, uh, because we're doing commentary. Let's see what else we got. What we do. Here. Our man makes his first non-flashback appearance in All Star Squadron as a captive of Baron Blitzkrieg. So we've not we've not seen our man in this before in, in a non-flashback role. I could have sworn he I was there not. in the earliest issues, but I, I guess. Weird. Yeah. Uh, let's see. When Tsunami made her debut in number 33, the Japanese word for tidal wave wasn't uh, nearly as well known as it is today, hence the footnote. Roy Thomas recalls spotting the term on a notice in the main L.A. post office where he drove late at night to mail material to Marvel in the uh, later 1970s, and it stuck in his mind as a great name for a character. The word entered uh, Americans' consciousness uh, with a vengeance after the devastating tsunamis of uh, December 26, 2004, caused by a strong earthquake with an epicenter off Sumatra, they left over 20, uh, excuse me, 200,000 people dead. Wow, I didn't realize this book was that recent that it could reference that, because I remember when that... Uh, when yeah, it came out in 2007. Wow. The first one came out in like 2000. It took a long time to get the, the second volume out there. I, I guess I just didn't realize it was really that... Uh, that current a book that's pretty cool so what do you got on this one mike page one that's one angsty emo-y looking specter right there <laughs> though i do like the skulls for eyes that that's that's kind of cool um the artwork kind of took a dip in quality this issue to me um in some in, in some cases in other cases not but overall i i really don't like Collins inking Hoberg all that much. Uh, pages two and three, it's, it's the red B. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, uh, I, I know what eventually happens, but still, I. <laughs> why don't they just write cannon fodder? I mean, he's wearing a red <laughs> shirt. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> page five. This is one stiff action page, and I think this is where the artwork kind of took a downturn for me, because Black Condor looks like a second-rate Neil Adams Superman flying. The ray looks pretty cool, but you really can't do much with that top. It looks kind of goofy. Uh, Uncle Sam is holding that gun and punching people, and Phantom Lady is doing, I guess, a ballet kick, and it's just knocking this guy over, so I'm just not a big fan of this page. Uh, over the next couple of pages, we get to see what everybody's superpowers are. We get to see Phantom Lady disappear. We get to see the Ray flying in the air and driving a bomb to a destroyer. Black Condor is flying. Dollman is beating people up because despite being so small, he still has all the strength of a man. Human Bomb blows some people up. And um, the Red Bee <laughs> releases some bees. I think that would be hysterical if he did that. And then you see all of his teammates like swatting themselves and going, water, water, run to water. Because <laughs> how the hell do his bees know to attack only the bad guys? Though on page six, I do love in that third panel where the red bee is about to unleash his bees. In the background, in the shadow, you see Uncle Sam just wailing on everybody with that gun. <laughs> 
There's like there's like stuff flying up. I just think that's blood. I think yes, Sam's just ball. killing these guys. <laughs> um yeah, I, I do like the fact that on page eight, um God says, I say thee nay I say thee I say thee nay, thou specter of Jim Corrigan. <laughs> I say thee nay, really? Um Page 10, Liberty Bell finally gives Johnny Quick uh, the the tongue lashing, the, well, the wrong kind of tongue lashing to him, but she kind of, like, lays into him about his attitude recently. And, and, and on one hand, it's kind of interesting that they bring up this dynamic that Johnny Quick has this whole hang-up about being compared to The Flash. But then it turns into the thing about their relationship, and finally she tells him, oh yeah, by the way, I might have a boyfriend. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what does Johnny Quick say? You don't have to draw me a diagram, lady, but why bring him up when we're practically in Santa Barbara? Because, Johnny, at this very moment, Starman is taking us to a meeting there with Captain Rick Cannon. Really? So you're waiting till two minutes before we right. meet the guy. <laughs> <sighs> Anyways, uh, page 12, apparently Firebrand can fly. And actually, I really like that. Mm -hmm. It kind of makes her a human torch type character now, which I think makes her a little more powerful. And that's a good thing because she kind of needs to be. She totally reminds okay. me of Frankie Ray in this part. Oh, definitely. Oh, I can agree with that. And a little bit of Angelica Jones from mm -hmm. Spider-Man's yeah. Amazing Friends. But I loved Frankie Ray. Me too. Frankie Ray was awesome. And I loved what Byrne did with her. Uh, Neptune Perkins shows up on page 13. A rare medical case, weren't you? Something about a deficiency of sodium salts needed by the human heart? I had no idea anyone remembered a case 20 years old. But yes, because of my deficiency, as well as webbed feet, I am forced to spend most much of my waking life in the ocean, where I am now writing a book on undersea life. And it looks like he's underwater writing on paper. <laughs> he's not, though. He's on the beach. But yeah, I he's can on the see beach with a seagull. Like that, yeah. With a seagull, like, going, you spelled that wrong. No, really, I before E, you idiot. He's got a streak of bird crap down his back from where that <laughs> seagull is sitting on his shoulder. I hate you. Um, once again, and I don't really want to get into this too much, uh, <laughs> though we may end up to, end up doing so. Once again, it's 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 really laid on thick that the the, the Japanese people in America don't want to do bad things against America, and uh, if it had been posed in a different way maybe i wouldn't have felt it was so heavy-handed but to me it feels very very heavy-handed yes um i do like the fact that this woman uh, tsunami is is giving her speech and everyone's like perhaps so but there's still no reason to will you guys please talk american <laughs> he's my favorite guy on page 15 <laughs> Yeah, most of us Nisei don't know a word of Japanese. You Kaibe come over here, try to inflame us. It is true, I am what they call in, in Japan, uh, I am what they in Japan call with scorn a Kaibe. Uh, for though born in America, I have studied for the past few years in Tokyo, and everyone is still like, look, it's, it, it, it we don't care, basically. Right. Your nation, not ours. I've never even been to Japan. And I have a feeling that a lot of people who were born in America that were of Japanese descent in World War II probably did feel this way. That, like, I have no connection to that. But at the same time, 
little thick there, Roy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like the fact that when she shows off her outfit, uh, one of the men goes, Maya, it is not right that a girl should be attired thus. Really? She okay. Well, she is kind of wearing a bra, but who's... Yeah, well, some people get turned on by that. Um, well, I mean, this, was, this would still be at a time where yeah. most women wear, you know skirts or, or actual you know like a dress type of thing i actually like that that was one of my notes was that line um you know that it's not right that a girl should be attired thus because it just you know it, it it owes back to that you know that time where you know the decency standards were very different from what they are today uh page 17 i like the art on this page liberty bell looks really awesome though in that one panel at the top she looks like she's turning into the incredible hulk <laughs> so, uh, and Starman looks pr- positively evil. Yes, as he's holding his phallic symbol of death skyward. Um, the fight between Liberty Bell and Tsunami is kind of boring. Uh, she kicks her in the face, and then Tsunami knocks over some boxes, and that's pretty much it. And oh, Tsunami kills her father. This, um, yeah, this is going to lead to some drama, just to tell everybody. But it looks like her grandfather, not her father. <laughs> Man, looks old. Uh, getting to the end of the issue, I do like the scene of the Freedom Fighters going onto the ship and kicking everyone's ass. It is kind of cool. And then on the last page, not only do we get Baron Blitzkrieg, but Our Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, on page 22, the bottom panel... Uncle Sam looks really awesome there, but he looks like Superman with white hair and a hat. Yes. So, um, yeah, this this is kind of a 50-50 issue for me. I, I'm enjoying the story. Like, the overall plot is really cool. There's just these little details that are creeping up that are making me go, eh, I don't know about that. Uh, and the artwork is, is continuing to get uh, stiffer and stiffer, so that sounds dirty. <laughs> but, uh... But that's all I have on this one. Well, as I've said before, and I can't remember if I just recently said this to you at the beginning of the show or if this was off air before we get started. But one of the cool things is that you and I most definitely see eye to eye on a lot of things. But also, I'm always interested by the things where we see very, very differently. And this is an instance where I think we are going to see very differently because... uh, I got to be honest, man. I love this issue. I thought this was really, really great. Um, For one thing, I liked the art a lot. I will agree with you that uh, some pages are kind of stiff, but uh, I really, I I think the the art seriously stepped up in this issue. I don't think it looks quite as uh, stiff and uh, and mechanical as it did in the prior issue. I think this guy's kind of, you know, he's he's earning his. you know, earning his sea legs or whatever the hell the expression would be for an artist, you know? Um, let's see again. Love the cover. I think that's a really a dynamic one. I wish I had a superpower where I could sh- shoot the words awesome origin issue out of my hands. I think that's actually a really <laughs> cool superpower. Um, also he speaks in uh, you know, with a word balloon that, that makes the freedom fighters logo. That's pretty cool too. Um, let's see. Page two. I actually have a good number of notes on this, but I will try to move very fast through this. Um, page two, you know, you read the uh, the quote here for this one. 
uh, where it says, "This is war. De- uh, death and destruction may come from the skies at any moment." I I'm have to take. I'm assuming this is Roy Thomas that wrote the little thing here. I have to take some objection to where he says, uh, "This guy, Lieutenant John, whatever." Somewhat overstating the case for California, this was on the morning of December 8th, 1941. This was the day after Pearl Harbor. Is there really such a thing as overstating the threat to America? I mean, this would have been a fresh wound in the minds of Americans. And yeah, they had to consider their coasts, you know, their other coasts, especially California. So... I don't know. It just reads kind of odd to me that, you know, he says somewhat overstating. Yes, it's very dramatic, but I, I'm sure that this was a genuine concern, you know, understandably so. Anyway, I don't want to belabor the point. Moving along, okay. Black Condor, I don't think he ever looked better than he does in this issue. Uh, he's totally Superman-like, but hey, I like Superman, so that works for me. But I really like how he looks in this issue. Uh, page five. This was the one that you were uh, talking about before, uh, looking a little stiff. I will agree it does look a little stiff, but I like this. And, uh, I, I'm going to risk, uh, possible insult to one or both of the artists, but I'm going to say that I think they were borrowing some images in this issue because I like the black condor black condor. And I noticed somebody else toward the, I should have written it down, but I noticed right toward the end of the issue, there was another pose. Ah, when we get to it, I'll I'll point it out, but there was another pose toward the end of the issue. I was like, you know what? I've seen that somewhere before. And I think it was from a Superman book. Anyway, I really like this. I especially like the fact that uh, it really seriously looks like after Sam has belted these two soldiers that he is going to clobber their asses with that M60. I really like that. I mean, he looks like he's just going to wallop the daylights out of him, and I think that's very cool. I like most everything about this panel except, and I'm sorry, I'm really trying to lay off the very crude and you know crass jokes, but um, where is Doll Man coming from in that panel? Because it really looks like as Phantom Lady is kicking her leg up, like Doll Man comes flying out. Does it not? (laughs) Oh, jeez. I was holding my breath for like an hour. I'm just saying. I made a note about uh, where it said here that uh, um, the Spectre's origin you know, I was talking about the Spectre, and it says, yeah. uh, see more fun comics number 52, which I know I don't own, but it said reprinted <laughs> in Secret Origins number 5 from 1973. Looked it up. I don't own it. I was kind of depressed <laughs> about that. See more. See this expensive Golden Age comic yeah. that you'll probably never see. But you know what? We're coming up. It, it'll be a while, but we are coming up to uh, a reference like that, that. I, I wrote it down when I was a kid, and damned if I didn't end up getting that issue. And I'll, I'll be—I'll uh, definitely be talking about that when we get Sweet. to it. Sweet, that's awesome. Uh, let's see, page nine. Oh, God makes a reference to 
uh, the fact that, uh, and you know, that's not a sentence I get to say very often. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> Sometimes you write notes out and you realize, wow, I just said that. <laughs> he makes a reference to the already frayed edges of the multiverse. And I can't help but wonder, is this a subtle allusion to Crisis on Infinite Earths? Probably not because, well, maybe at this point. Uh, uh, I was about to say they they haven't gotten there yet, but you know what? We're getting there. You might be on to something there. Uh, just just some, just an observation. Uh, page 11, fifth panel. I thought this was a really nice artistic touch that fresh off their little verbal spat in that fifth panel, you see Liberty Bell and Starman talking and you see we're we're basically looking past Johnny Thunder or excuse me Johnny Quick rather Johnny Quick's leg and you see his fist all balled up and it's just the body language in that you can tell he's pissed just by that balled up fist i think that's a very nice piece of artwork i, I was really impressed with that uh page 12 she can fly it's about time i re- i i i really thought that i could remember her flying <laughs> But I really thought that I remembered that Firebrand could fly. I just didn't remember it taking this long. So I'm glad that we're finally at this. Okay. Biggest disagreement between us for the issue, Neptune Perkins. I can't tell you why, but I like this guy. I've always been a fan of Neptune Perkins. Part of it has to do with his origin story. We won't get his full origin for a long time. It comes in... Young All-Stars. Yes, it does. And I don't want to spoil it. I will just say that I love it when two of my interests, you know, my hobbies come together. And that's the case with Neptune Perkins. His origin ties into another one of my hobbies, another huge fashion, you know, personal fascination of mine. That's probably the biggest reason why I like the guy. But <laughs> no, the other one, the other one. Oh, uh, but okay, no, okay, I okay. really do like Neptune Perkins. Yeah, he's goofy as all hell. But you know, come on, what? What at, I, what? at the at the core of it, what what comic book character isn't a little goofy? Okay. You know. So okay, I'm going to challenge you on something. At what point did I say I didn't like him? Well, you were poking a lot of fun at him, but I poke fun at things I like all the time. <laughs> no, seriously, when we get to Young All Stars, I love Neptune Perkins. Oh, okay. I like the relationship that he has with Tsunami. Right. It's just the way he's introduced here, like randomly. It it it, it struck it struck a funny bone with. He me. does look like a seafaring Tonto, though he really <laughs> does. He should ride a seahorse. You should call it, uh, oh crap, no, I just totally blanked. What the hell is Tonto's horse? Scout. You should, he Scout should have a right of horse named Scout. Um, I was about to say Tornado, but tornado. That's, Zorro's, uh, <laughs> that's Zorro's horse. So, Oh, a good one. See, I did not know that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm really, really trying to play the game and really trying to stay away from spoilers as much as possible. But I can't help it. I've got to I've got to editorialize for just a moment. You know, if I ever needed another reason to just seriously dislike Infinite Crisis, this issue gave me two big ones um, with, uh, you know, with Neptune Perkins. Yeah. Happens to him, and that was just disgraceful. And also the human bomb. I, I, I never liked that part in Infinite um, Okay. It's odd that you say that because I'm, re- I'm re-listening to Graphic Audio's mm-hmm. uh, 
production of Infinite Crisis, and I just got past where Neptune Perkins died. And yeah, I was like, really? Of all the characters, that you're, you, you, did you just randomly pick this character out, or maybe because you because people care about him, it's a good character to kill? I will say this though: the Freedom Fighters getting pretty much decimated. decimated. In the first. It's issue. funny you say that because that's the exact word I had in mind was decimated. Yes. Um, I really liked that scene, though, because Infinite Crisis has a lot of problems to it, but at its core, you know, it's heroes fighting villain villains with the universe at stake, basically. And I'll always get into those kinds of stories because I like epic stories. When I read Infinite Crisis number one and the Freedom Fighters show up at that refinery and they open the door, and it's Bizarro, and the Reverse Flash, and Sinestro, I literally went, holy shit! <laughs> because it's just like, oh my god, it's like all like the heavy hitters of the supervillain set. And I love the fact that before Infinite Crisis and during Infinite Crisis, the villains got more organized than they had ever been. Right, so right. In the scene where Neptune Perkins died, I hate that I hate that part of the scene, but I love the fact that all of the sea villains got together to fight Aquaman in Sub Diego. I mean that that's just an awesome concept to me. So I'll agree with you that it that it kind of sucks that he died, but the Freedom Fighters went out as heroes. Oh, I yeah, and I think that's that's an important distinction to Neptune Perkins, who just got randomly killed. Right. I mean, it, it's tough because my my first inclination is to be very very angry about it because every time I read that, it feels to me like that that is Jeff Johns that wrote that, right? Yes, yes. It, it feels to me like Jeff Johns just you know flipped through his collection of All Star Squadron. And picked out everybody and said, nobody gives a crap about these people and just killed everybody off. That's my first inclination. That's my That was my gut feeling. But, you know, I, I'm more than willing to concede that, you know, there's always a fan for, for anything that's out there. So anybody that he possibly could have picked, you know, he could have picked the friggin' Lab Rats to be the the team that gets wasted in that and somebody somewhere is going to be upset i i'm willing to concede that point but it's just these guys you know they, they were special to me you know i mean i really I, I really like these characters and i really didn't enjoy the way that they were they were you know your word was perfect decimated because that's exactly the word i had in mind i mean and you know at least as you say with the freedom fighters they went out you know they went out as heroes they went out fighting if i recall correctly i'm pretty sure neptune perkins just gets eaten by a shark which was yeah, a it, it, lame it, way for him to get killed you know it's extremely random yes and I th- and that's what bugs me about it so much is that it's not like neptune perkins was sitting there holding off the fuse of the bomb while everybody else got to run out. Right. He's the one that took one for the team. Now he's just sitting there and gets eaten by a shark. And it's just like, oh, God, at least the human bomb. The human bomb got killed by Bizarro. Right. I mean, his death was pretty spectacular. I didn't like it, but at least it was, was, you know, as these things go, it was kind of cool. Neptune Perkins' death felt to me like like someone just saying, oh, God, this guy's lame. And yeah, him. That's how it felt. And it's like, no, I, I object. I don't think he's lame. I think he's kind of cool. You know, I, I always thought he was. 
you know, yes, he's the poor man's Aquaman, but there's something, I don't know, there's something about the character I always really enjoyed, you know? So, but yeah, everybody is somebody's favorite character, you know? And, And it's just, that's how the game's played, you know? But more to the point, I will I will completely agree with you that the uh, that Neptune Perkins is a great character in uh, Young All Stars and his origin. Just everything that I can't wait to get to Young All Stars because as much as it was Roy Thomas kind of floundering and trying to figure out what he's going to do, I think because. He couldn't do what he wanted to do before. That he was—he thought of new and interesting ideas of how to incorporate literature and comic books mm-hmm. and bring those two together. Because everybody in that on that team has a literary connection, except Dan the Dynamite Kid, right? But everybody else, they—they they go. You know, we've got. We've got uh, Mary Shelley uh, getting referenced. Uh, if I'm remembering, Neptune Perkins is like two different books in one. And it's just like, wow, that is really cool. How do you think to do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've really got to have a certain type of mindset to say, no, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to connect these two dots. So, And apparently you can do that without being British. <laughs> Which is, uh, that's good to know to me. Anyways, but go. Sorry, I'm no, no, not at all. Uh, let's <sighs> see. Page 14, panel four. The part of Starman will now be played by Lee Majors. <laughs> <laughs> also on page 14, the if last. I touch you with this rod. <laughs> well, no, wait. Does he not look like Lee Majors right yes, there? Yes, he though? looks exactly. He totally like does. Lee Majors. Uh, let's see. Page 14, same page, uh, last panel. The, uh, the last word, the last two word balloons are what I, I just, my note that I wrote here was dubbed. Cause it looks like the words Issei and Nisei, the lettering is completely different. It really looks like these two words were like put in in post. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that'd be funny though. It, it's really funny. It just looks odd. How do you, how do you dub something? <laughs> right. Um, page 15, I again, along with trying not to spoil ahead, I'm also trying not to be political. However, I just have to point out one thing that I really, really liked in this issue, and then I'm just going to walk away. I just like the note, or excuse me, the line, rather, on page 15. I like the sentiment. There's uh, one guy who's uh, rebutting everything that uh, Tsunami's going on and on about, about why don't you guys rise, you know, rise up and, uh, you know, fight off the, the uh, you know, American oppressors or whatever the hell her, her thing is about. And the one guy just says, we must comply to show we are good Americans. I like that. That's a sentiment I completely agree with, and I think it's sadly lacking in the world today. Well, to, to be fair, that is how a lot of immigrants felt. Right. In the, you know, the, you know, the 1800s and the the early 1900s, when they came here, you know, it's kind of a cliche now and and, and it may be an exaggeration, but it, it was it had to come from somewhere that when they came to America, they wanted to become Americans. Yes. 
And again, I, again, I say I, that's a sentiment I think is sadly lacking today. And I will completely agree with you on it. It it it, it, it bugs me to a large extent, and and I don't know if I should get into this, but no, I mean, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't, you know. It, it, and this may not be a conversation for this episode, but um, at, because I feel like maybe I uh, left you hanging in a previous uh, episode, I'm, I'm going to be very forthright now and say I completely agree with you. Uh, and if I disagreed with you, I would argue with you, but <laughs> I completely agree. That sounds that sounds bad, but it, you know it goes both ways. I mean, and I and I hope you feel the same that if you disagree with something i say you can you know we can talk about it and still remain friends even though i'll never speak to you again (laughs) um but no that that kind of stuff bugs me it's it's like you know if you're coming if you and i moved to germany we would have to do everything in our power to acclimate to the culture in that country and it seems to me that we're the one country where you don't have to do that and i'm not asking people to give up their identities or not embrace their heritage but at the same time you know you you want to live here you you, you kind of have to step up and, and fit, not fit in but right you know damn it you know acclimate to us because you know we're one of the few countries in the in the world that does not have an official language that kind of bugs me <laughs> It really does, but we'll move on now. <laughs> well, I just, you know, my my whole point to that is, you know, go anywhere else in the world and, and demand that everything in the land be changed to fit you and where you come from and, and your language and your customs, and they'll just laugh you out of town. You know, if you're going to move somewhere else, you're going to be expected to, you know, when in Rome, do as exactly. the Romans do. Not when in Rome, do as you know wherever you came from. That it's just it's rude, if nothing else. Anyway, I agree with you. It's time to move on. But uh, I, I I like that we're on the same page with that. Oh, yeah. um, while this is, I will agree with you, heavy-handed. I like the um, I like his handling of it better in this issue than in prior issues. I, I think he was making. Um, I I think there was more of an effort made here to kind of ride the line, you know, with, without it coming across as extremely preachy or or flat out unrealistic. I I, I like what he was tr- the message he was trying to convey, even though again I will agree it, it's still a little heavy handed. But you know you can. I think you can be heavy-handed and not necessarily be preachy too. This felt heavy-handed, but it didn't feel preachy. If that makes any kind of sense, that does. Uh, what else we got here? Commented on the bargain basement, Esther Williams. I just got a kick out of that. I thought that was very funny. Um, I, I made this note for page twenty-one, but it actually goes throughout the entire issue. How does Black Condor, who is basically a glider? How does he carry anybody? He carries the human bomb around through this entire issue. How does that work? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. 
And what else have I got here? On the letters page, there was... Uh, let me flip to the letters page so I know what I'm talking about. Roy Thomas said something about... God, I'll never find this again. Oh, here it is. He's talking about the term superpower. He says, didn't exist in 1942, just as the term superhero seems to have first been used in the Guardian's origin in Star Spangled Number 7 uh, in that year. So I thought that was kind of interesting to note. I had no idea where the term, uh, you know, I assumed it came out of Superman and was probably, you know, right, you know, in that era, but I didn't know it wasn't until, uh, you know, 42. So I thought that was kind of interesting to note. And I think that was pretty much it as far as uh, specific notes on this. I really I'm I'm digging this story. I really like it a lot. I really enjoyed this particular issue. And uh, I'm curious how the whole thing wraps up. I remember it being uh, pretty darn good, but only in the vaguest terms. I know that we're going to have a, a pretty uh, spectacular uh, uh, dust up next issue. But oh, a couple yeah. of uh, major powerhouses. So I'm looking forward to that, and I'm hoping that we're going to get an answer one way or the other, a definitive answer about Baron Blitzkrieg because I'm still a little confused about that whole thing. Yeah, he seems to be like, like completely at ease with like, yep, I'm Baron Blitzkrieg. You all, <laughs> you bitches all know me, so right. Let's move on with life. That would be the most awesome thing ever if his <laughs> catchphrase was, I'm Baron Blitzkrieg, bitches. Bitches. <laughs> so I guess now would be a good time to do something that we haven't done on this show in so long. Bathe. I mean, um... What? No. <laughs> I think we should take a break, play a promo... And then come back to talk about Infinity Incorporated number two. Sweet. Dos. And Guy Gardner is a douche. Uh, especially Guy Gardner, who was being a bit of a douchebag, but uh, he wasn't really listening. That's Guy's like that. thing. <laughs> yeah, but... that That's his other superpower. <laughs> Speaking of Guy Gardner, page 19, I resent the brain damage comment. He was just a character I found extremely grating. Wow, the internet seems to be filled with people who really can't stand the character of Guy Gardner. I mean, to some extent they have a point. I mean, they'd read the character like I have, his adventures with the cores, his solo comic run, whatever. Maybe they'd have a little more appreciation for him. I mean, there needs to be more guy love on the internet. Um, maybe not that kind of guy love. Regardless, there still has to be a way that a middle-aged man like myself with a love of comic books should be able to present a defense for an underrated character. If you build it, they will come. What was that? If you build it, they will come. Okay, strange disembodied voice. That's a great idea, but I really don't see how building a baseball field and a little bit cornfield will help with matters. I mean, I think there are aren't any cornfields near here, especially once they're the owner let me build a baseball field in. Plus, Guy was more of a football player and... No, no, no. <sighs> Look, no speaks metaphorically. What I meant by Bill was... Oh, maybe make a podcast about it? Well, that's an even better idea. And it's a lot easier, given my farming and athletic abilities. I could recount all the appearances of Guy in comics. I could focus on his solo run. I could give detailed plans of his bar and... Hold on, hold on, hold on, champ, champ, champ. 
You really want people to actually listen to the podcast, don't you? Well, yeah. So why not start with the 1990s Green Lantern and continue on to the Reaper? Well, that's an even better idea. I could cover the Guy Gardner solo series along the way, and also put up for a defense my second favorite GL, Kyle Rayner. Plus, really, these are the two Earth-based Green Lanterns. For whatever reason, they're really overlooked in the mass media. Plus, I've got a nearly complete runs of both series. Wow! Thanks, strange disembodied voice. No problem. Now, now, now. let's go kill President Nixon. Nixon. Um, you do know that Nixon has been dead for well over a decade. Oh, uh, okay. Well, how about some brownies? Mmm, that sounds great. I love some good brownies, especially the one with the chocolate frosting on top. Or have you ever had blondies? Those are even better. I had one of those at church. Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, is a weekly internet radio show covering the Green Lantern comics, starting with Green Lantern number 1 in 1990 and ending with Green Lantern number 181 in 2004. During the run, I will be placing a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, my two favorite and the most underappreciated members of the Green Lantern Corps. Along the way, I'll be covering the Guy Gardner comic run, some Green Lantern annuals, and whatever else takes my interest at the time. Come listen along with me, Sean Ingle, as I make the case for the Green Lanterns who deserve a better reputation at justoneoftheguys.lipson.com. said Mongo, didn't he? That's wrong character, wrong universe, and wrong galaxy. Hold on just one sec. Ah, here we go. Flash Legacies, a podcast connecting the adventures of Wally West, the third hero to be known as The Flash. Join me, Dave Walker, in my bi-weekly journey as I look at Wally's career from when he first donned the mantle of the Flash all the way up to the return of Barry Allen. Find me at flashlegacies.linkson.com founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're... Angel. Oh, Reed, not you too! What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly! We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power! I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now, 
mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms and the hands of Dr. Doom. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You bastards can't change the way I can. At least I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you. For I am the thinker. I vow never to return, my lord. Until the Fantastic Four are no more, and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ravatots, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak, blind or hulk. Stop! You must not enter the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain him until it has been drained of all elemental life. So, speak Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witness the origins of a legend. The Fantastic Forecast, ffcast.libsyn.com Earth 2, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different. They're the sons and daughters, protégés and godchildren of the JSA have banded together to be the next generation of mystery men and women. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents Infinity Incorporated. We are back, folks, from those uh, that trailer or trailers, depending on what I decide to do tomorrow uh, regarding, you know, how I'm going to do that. We are back with Infinity Incorporated number two. And to tell us all about this masterpiece of modern comic book storytelling, we have Boo. Actually, <laughs> she's not in my lap. We got Scott Gardner. <laughs> I didn't read it. Uh, let's see here. Infinity Incorporated. <laughs> I've been carrying you for 72 episodes now. I can't write your synopsis anymore. Let's see here. We got Infinity Inc. number two. This is the May 1984 issue, which is a good thing because uh, that puts us all in sync with what we just covered. <laughs> Cover price, $1.25. Cover by Macklin and Ordway, and uh, it's kind of freaky looking. You've got a uh, giant ape-faced uh, ultra-humanite, and he's uh, he's using green Kirby dots on everybody, and he's knocking all the Infinitors all over the place. It, it's actually a pretty cool cover, though. It's just a little bit strange. Uh, let's see. you got Roy Thomas is the writer-editor on this one. Jerry Ordway Penciler, Mike Macklin Inker, and underneath all three of their names, it says Co-Creators All. Dan Thomas Co-Plotter, Adrian Roy Colorist, John Costanza Letterer. The story is entitled Generations, Part 2, A Gauntlet Hurled. Just kind of a goofy name, I have to admit. 
So in Gotham City, on the world known as Earth 2, six young heroes, having been turned down for membership in the illustrious Justice Society of America, discuss their options. They are Silver Scarab, son of Hawkman, Nuclon, godson of the Atom, Fury, daughter of Wonder Woman, Jade and Obsidian, possible Jedi twins of the Green Lantern, and that stupid bird guy that nobody likes. Their mother died of a broken heart. (laughs) Realizing they can't just stand around in the street and talk, the heroes take to the sky and have a short powwow before deciding that this impromptu meeting would really go a lot better over dinner. So they find the nearest DC Comics equivalent of the Golden Arches and drop in. But it just so happens that they've picked the one Ronald McDonald house in all of Gotham City where all the pimps, (laughs) hoes, and crackheads hang out. (laughs) Our gang is instantly set upon and hassled by these unsavory locals, and of course, a brawl breaks out. Now, personally, I think super teens versus strung out street trash is a little like using a tank to swat a fly, but I don't know, maybe it's just me. Anyhow, Power Girl and the Huntress show up before things go too far and everybody splits for Kara's place to, to, to uh, continue their discussion. Back at the JSA Brownstone, and this was just about the time I was wondering if everybody just forgot about the cliffhanger from last issue, we pick up with these senior super folks confronting everyone's favorite Dr. Savannah impersonator, Brainwave. Only it isn't really Brainwave, at least not the original Brainwave. It's his son, who's a good guy, I guess. And he's got the mega awesome super good guy name of, are you ready for this? Brainwave Jr., Oh, I trust him completely. (laughs) And this genius, who needs the JSA's help, thought it would be an ultra-keen idea to pretend to be his own supervillain father and knock in a wall of their headquarters to gain an audience. Not a move I'd expect from a guy with brain in his name, unless, you know, it was preceded by lame, but whatever. Anyway, Star Spangled Kid finally gets everybody to lay off the guy, and he takes Brainwave's boy with him to go discuss whatever it was that he came to them for in the first place. Along the way, they reveal to one another that Star Spangled Kid doesn't like to be called Kid, and Brainwave Jr. doesn't like to be called Junior. And I would just like to remind these rocket scientists that these are not their actual legal names, and that they can change them pretty much any time they'd like. Junior? I just thought that was an extremely weird bit of dialogue in this issue. Uh, Let's see. At Power Girl's place, which actually reminded me a lot of Lois Lane's pad from Superman the movie, just that that first panel where we see it, I thought it looked a lot like it. Uh, Everyone continues to bitch and argue with one another, uh, with uh, Jade and Obsidian, revealing that they're actually not 100% sure of their facts about uh, Green Lantern being their father after all. And that they just laid that on him last issue to kind of gauge his reaction. Power Girl and the Huntress. Really? Yeah. (laughs) That's what they say anyway. Um, Power Girl and the Huntress recount their origins, which you, gentle listener, already know if you've been following along with each and every episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America. And come on, why wouldn't you? When the Star Spangled Kid shows up, he's got a Brainwave Jr. in tow, which understandably pisses Power Girl right off because this is her apartment and the kid just totally blew her secret identity to the son of a supervillain. And he lays it on, he being Star Spangled Kid, lays it on everybody that 
He's been thinking about striking out on his own for some time now, and he's even got a name worked out for the uh, junior uh, super team here called Infinity Inc. Now, I always say Infinity Inc. Do you say Infinity Incorporated or do you say Infinity Inc.? I usually say Infinity Inc. Okay. All right. Just because I think it's cooler. Yep, me too. Well, we're going to go with that, and <laughs> that works. So the ten- We had a meeting. It was discussed. There we go. <laughs> there we go. So the Ten Titans, they uh, all shake on it just in time for the Ultra Humanite to show up, brain whammy everybody, and basically just kind of set things up so that continuity now jibes with what happened way back in All-Star Squadron number 24. Don't remember the details of that story? Well, neither do I. But we did talk about it in episode number 58, so feel free to look it up. Next issue, Solomon Grundy goes Hollywood. Yes, that's really the name of the next issue. It's great. He meets up with Abbott and Costello. <laughs> that, that, that in, in a dark turn, he, 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 he rapes Bud Abbott. And, you know, I didn't see it coming, and neither did Abbott. But, <laughs> wow, that was just... A, a, uh, I, didn't, I didn't know the director of Deliverance worked on that film. Solomon Grundy want latte too. <laughs> Solomon Grundy want mangina too. Um, <laughs> that was wrong. <laughs> that was. Really, really I stand wrong. by it. I stand by it. <laughs> we have our notes for the issue, courtesy of. Um, Wow, there's a picture in this book that looks like what I was just talking about. Oh, no. Um, This is the All-Star Companion, Volume 4. These are the notes for Infinity Incorporated, number 2. Infinity, Inc.'s storyline continues in All-Star Squadron, number 25 to 26, and All-Star Squadron, number 2. In a break with the JSA's traditional volunteerism... Volunteerism? Terrorism? However you pronounce that word. Star Spangled Kid's plans for the incorporated Infinity Assemblage includes paying its members salaries and benefits. Mike Mauser, the private eye created by Nicola Cootie and Joe Staten in Carlton Comics E-Man number one, can be seen in a second floor window above the McTavish's fast food I wondered who that guy was. I thought he looked familiar. Uh, which is a, itself a takeoff on McDonald's. Brainwave Jr. knows John Tarantula Law's 1942 home address because he has read Altered Egos, the book about the mystery men that Law was researching in the All-Star Squadron series. Roy Thomas used that title at the time. He did not envision ever reviving his and Jerry Bales' 1960s to 70s fanzine Alter Ego. And uh, we have a picture of uh, uh, the page where... Star Spangled Kid basically lays out his plan. It says, Hail, hail, the gang's all here. Once Brainwave Jr. showed up at number two, Infinity Incorporated began life with a retinue, I God, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, of no less than ten members, counting the group's employer, the Star Spangled Kid. There is also a picture here of uh, Roy Thomas's wife, Dan, from uh, the 1980s. And she was a cutie. Mm-hmm. She was. Had red hair. Used to like that. Then that bitch broke my heart. Not Roy Thomas's wife. <laughs> uh, just figured I had to clarify that in case somebody's listening going, when did... Okay. Um, <laughs> what did you think of this issue, sir? 
Um, it's get, <laughs> oh, it's that's, getting that's better. Good. It's getting better. It's uh, it was better than the first issue. I thought we're actually seeing the 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 team dynamic starting to form. I like that the actual team forms in this issue. Um, I. Uh, I'm I'm just amazed by how much I've actually forgotten of this Me book. Too. I forgot that Star Spangled Kid came in this early. I forgot that the team was his and that he named the team. I like that. I, I you know because I'm I actually like uh, Star Spangled Kid quite a bit. He's right up there. He's probably my favorite character of this team. But it, for some reason, I didn't think he was in it this early. I thought he came along much later. But I, of course, I'm thinking of the character he becomes. Because that was that was the era of this book that I like best is is that era where he uh, you know transitions into the character that he would become later. That's that's the stuff that I really really like. Anyway, that said, yeah, I, I dug this issue. I really don't have many notes on this. Uh, I got just a few. Uh, page four uh, at the top of the page here, we've got uh, the Silver Scarab, and he's. Uh, complaining about his father hawkman you know basically he's got daddy issues you know daddy never loved me kind of thing and he and uh and norda are flying together and and silver scarab is saying to norda he says and if you're going to defend him meaning hawkman like always you can just flap your way back to greenland and norda says why do you persist in such hostility hector have we not been friends ever since childhood and Silver Scarab says, we were playmates, Norda. We were never friends. And I liked that between them because it kind of sets up yeah. the dynamic that's going to exist between the two of them. I, I like that a lot because he, he <laughs> spells it right out. Uh, page six. Uh, page six, panel four. Yeah, if I ever really needed another reason, which I did not, to really... Uh, just not like this character. He's a vegetarian too. <laughs> I really hate hate Northwind so much. I really do. Uh, let's see, page six, panel six. Why does Nuclon have obsidian by the throat? I don't well. understand this panel. He literally uh, has his hand around his throat, and he's and Obsidian's just grinning at him like an idiot. What is that all about? <laughs> Don't take you, you didn't want those fries, did you, pal? Yeah, that's what he's saying. As he he's stealing his he food. Is, he's stealing his food, but he has him by the neck. <laughs> it's just weird. I mean, that's, that maybe it was supposed to be somebody else, and it accidentally got inked as Obsidian. I don't know. That's so weird. It is very, very strange. Uh, let's see. Page nine. Uh, the last two panels on page nine. So Pa Kent apparently is the yeah. manager of uh, McDonald's on Earth, too. That's kind of interesting. Um, just a general note for the issue, because I don't. I never saw it addressed, or if it was, I just completely missed it. But why did Brainwave Jr. knock down that wall disguised as his father? I, I have absolutely no idea yeah, whatsoever. That made no sense whatsoever. And then he has the gall to get all pissy with the, with the Justice Society because they wanted to beat the snot out of him. It's like, look, dumbass, you invaded their headquarters on Christmas frickin' Eve, 
knocked down a wall disguised as a supervillain. What the hell did you expect was going to happen? Cookies. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> as I said in my synopsis, this guy doesn't deserve to have brain in his name because he's not exactly. employing it at all. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Jumping way ahead here. We got page 20. I mean, it's right at the very end of the issue. The team has been formed. They, they're shaking hands on the prior page. Everybody's come together. And then all of a sudden, it's like they suddenly remember, oh, oh yeah, uh, Brainwave Jr.'s in our midst. And... <laughs> They're suddenly talking about what he came there for in the first place. He wants to warn everybody about the ultra humanite. And Norda says, isn't that one of the criminals the Justice Society were discussing when we interrupted their meeting? And Silver Scarab says, sure was. But can we trust someone who says that he's Brainwave's son? It's a little late for that, isn't it? (laughs) You've already formed a super team. You've already taken the guy to Power Girl's secret identity apartment you know wait a second it's like can we trust you it's like yeah it's like those those early uh issues of uh fantastic four where every every five seconds reed richards was saying well i hope that sue storm doesn't turn against us because i don't know if we could stop her if we if we if she did <laughs> and it's just like you're way over paranoid here it's the 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 horse horse is out of the gate. Yes, you can't stuff him back in. Yes, it's like I guess I guess the only thing that can really happen is the next page shows them like leaving an abandoned alley with shovels. <laughs> <laughs> Brainwave Junior was found in a trash compactor early this morning in the street. On the Death Star. Yeah, <laughs> we don't know how he got to the Death Star. Or... <laughs> But it was uh, it was kind of interesting. It turns out that Brainwave Junior was the little eye that popped out. I he mutated. Uh, <laughs> he mutated. But uh, you know, I I liked the issue. It's uh, it was better than the first issue. I'll I'll, I'll put it that way. I, I enjoyed it, and uh, I'm interested to see where it goes from here. Now that we got the whole, you know, going back in time, meeting you know the All Stars thing out of the way, because I didn't remember that it that. Thomas even bothered to address that. I, I had just assumed that that had happened prior to the first issue. That like that was already an adventure that had happened. I didn't realize that we were going to see that setup from the Infinitor's point of view. So that's kind of interesting, I guess. Um, this is a really awkward cover. It's not a bad cover, uh, but once again, we have a superhero comic in the 60s, 70s, or 80s, where a team comes together and it's called The Summoning. Um, that came out a little pithier than I wanted it to. But <laughs> come on, that's like the most the overused title, I think, for, for this type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, page one, really strong artwork. Actually, strong artwork throughout the entire uh, issue. The art is the one thing where I really don't have any complaints about. Uh, it's very big. And kind of daring for 1980s uh, superhero comics because they they dutch the camera angle to use a to use a, a film term. Uh, they go big, they go small. They, you know, Macklin and Ordway just pack these pages with so much detail. Um, 
first couple pages were okay. I mean, we're just kind of brought up to speed on everything that happened. Artwork was uh, was decent. I like the fact that they go to McTavish's um, in costume and and don't expect any trouble. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, this isn't, you know, like Dragon Con where you could do that sort of thing. You know, it just doesn't work out. I, I, uh, <laughs> I like the fact that a prostitute I'm assuming it's a prostitute, tries to pick up Norda and is slapped away by Jade. Um, I guess we could say then that Jade cock-blocked Norda. Uh, apparently the pimp from Superman the movie grew a beard and started dressing like the Joker. See, I cause... thought he looked like that guy too. <laughs> the Jim, Whoa! Uh, I like the fact that when Nuclon punches the big tough guy with the anchor tattoo, that Jade thinks enough to shield him from the glass. Not from the, oh my god, this really hurts, this guy just punched me in the face (laughs) feeling. No, we don't want you to get cut up. We'll knock you through some glass, but we don't really want want you to get hurt. Uh, Bottom of page eight. Okay, the junkie holding the gun. We're... This scene is so random. Mm-hmm. It's just... It, it, I'm going to say this. It's going to sound, like, really snarky. It's like it was written with Mad Libs, almost. And then Infinity Incorporated went to McDonald's. And they got into a, a fight <laughs> with a pimp and a sailor. <laughs> No, you're right. When you put it that way, it's sad but true. Yes, it it actually does feel like Mad Lib. Did you notice Um, the address of McTavish's was 666, by the way? That was DC's address at this time. Oh, that's right. That's right. 666 Fifth Avenue. You're right. Um, And then they went to 1325 The Avenue of Americas, and I lose track after that. Uh, the Huntress and Power Girl show up on page nine, and my attention is perked up a little bit because I love the Power Girl and the Huntress. So, um, Brainwave Junior, um, gotta uh, kind of agree with Scott. You, you've got the name Brain in your in your in your name, and instead of showing up in your superhero outfit, you show up as your dad. What? <laughs> I think his and, name really should be Dumbass Junior. <laughs> dumbass Junior. Well, he is kind of a dumbass. Um, once again, somebody shows up and wants to talk to them, and they immediately begin fighting like it's a Marvel book for several pages. <laughs> Did we not just learn from this? But whatever. Uh, the artwork is pretty, at least. Uh, I like the fact that they go to Karen... Is it Karen Starr's apartment, or was it Huntress's apartment? Karen Starr's apartment. Um... I like that because Power Girl really got the short end of the stick when it comes to backstory and such. But the little stuff that they gave her and the fact that she has an apartment is really, really cool to me. Like, it makes her more of a character. Uh, page 17. Wait a minute. Before get... you, I'm sorry. Before you go there, you, um, you were right because on page 16, second panel... Star Spangled Kid actually blew two superhero identities because he does tell Brainwave Jr. says the Huntress's place first, then if nobody's home, Power Girl. So they actually did go to both places, according to the dialogue here. Oh, nice. Okay, and then we're going to go visit this guy named Clark Kent. Trust <laughs> right. me, he's important. 
Um, I like on page 17 that we get Power Girl and Huntress's origins. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially Huntress's, because it's a really nice shot of Huntress with the floating heads of Batman and Catwoman. It just looks really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the page uh, 18 where uh, Sylvester finally reveals the name of the group. It it seems a little like, yep, we're gonna form a band and we're gonna or we're gonna make a movie or put on a show and my uncle's got a barn and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I love this team, so it's really cool to see how they came together. And that kind of goes to the heart of my one big nitpick with this issue, is that I'm really glad that Roy Thomas took the time to explain how we got from this point to when they show up in All-Star Squadron earlier. But at the same time, it really throws off the dynamic of this first storyline. Because we have to spend two issues doing that, and then we get into the ultimate plot of the piece, which to me is infinitely more entertaining than seeing how they got there in the first place. Right. Because it's really awkward. The storytelling is very strange. It's not smooth. It's not bad. I'm not saying I hated this issue. Um, I, I I think I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed the first issue. But at the same time, it's really one of the clunkier ways of getting a team together mm-hmm. uh, that, I, that I have seen in comic books. However, the artwork really makes up for that by being very dynamic uh, and looking pretty... I mean, that last page where... They're in the past. I mean, the, the backgrounds are so packed with detail. And apparently the barbershop sells meatballs <laughs> uh, with beans and a Vienna roast and Franks and Kraut. Uh, pig's feet. This isn't the South. <laughs> Why are they serving? Oh, it's not pickled pig's feet. Okay, okay, okay. That makes sense. Sorry, the first time I walked into a gas station down here and saw pickled pig's feet in a jar... I immediately wanted to move. <laughs> Just to get away from the concept of pickled pig's feet. That's disgusting. No, but really cool, uh, really cool issue. Looking forward to the next one because I like Solomon Grundy a lot. Mm-hmm. Me too. Uh, I really like the character. And it's and it's really a shame that I re- that I enjoy seeing the Huntress and Power Girl here so much, and they just they don't stick around on the team, and that's kind of depressing a little bit. But uh, no, really cool issue. Uh, liked it a lot, and uh, looking forward to more. Me too. It's gonna be good. And yes, I say Infinity Inc. <laughs> so uh, looking at the ads real quick, uh, we have another ad for Joust which I think we discussed last time. Yes. Um, I gave you a shout-out on uh, on uh, Star Wars Monthly Monday for this month because I remembered why uh, I brought that up was it was actually it's it's in the Star Wars comic that we, ah. that we covered for Star Wars. So it was actually in my notes for that book. And it was just cool. it was odd because I remember at the time you and I were discussing this. I saw the joust and I was like, I know I made a note of this. Why? Why don't I see it on the page? And it was because I'd actually made it for a completely different book. So it was uh, I, I think it's the first time that uh, we'd ever been in sync with the books that we're covering over on uh, on Star Wars Monthly Monday. So it was actually kind of cool. 
you know, for for a DC and a Marvel comic to actually be sharing pretty much the same ads throughout for that particular month, it was really strange. That is that is kind of weird. Um, the next set of ads in this Infinity Incorporated issue is an odd. <laughs> it's a one-two punch of pyramid schemes. Uh, you've got gotta get grit. <laughs> um. And on the bottom, easy to sell new musical microchip greeting cards. And I'm sure some people saw this back in like the 80s and went, that's crazy. <laughs> and dude, there's like entire sections of greeting card that like Walmart and Target that have these things. Have you seen yep. them? They're aw- like the one where you open it up and it's the Superman theme, yep. which I play with every time I go by it. How can you not? I mean, it's a Superman theme. <laughs> Happy birthday, John Williams. Uh, military diamond sales. Hmm. Who is this for? Yeah, I don't get that. <laughs> is this for the eight-year-old grabbing this off the rack and going, you know, I've always wanted a diamond ring. <laughs> now I can get one. And my dad's in the military, so our credit is good. Uh, we have in the HodgePodge ad that Bill Cosby American Red Cross ad that I saw a thousand times. If you can't send you, send money. And then he starts talking about Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids. <laughs> you can't send you send money. That was random. <laughs> uh, another Remco Warlord toy ad, which is always kind of cool to see because we get to see uh, Hercules with his rope and tidy whitey outfit. It, um, it's Neptune Perkins. It's or no, a, it's Eric. It's, a, it's six of one, dude. <laughs> um. We have a way to go with Captain O ad. <laughs> you want to you want to act this one out? No. Okay. <laughs> no. Wow. We, no. I'm kidding. We can do we can do that. No, I do want to give a a quick shout out to our friend Sean Engel, Joe Anthrax, uh, for his new show, um, Just One of the Guys. He was acting out the Capri Sun ads. <laughs> <laughs> and playing the Indiana Jones theme in the background, and it was really, really funny. So I've got to hear that. So uh, if you want to be Captain O, I'll be everybody else. Okay. Okay. The way to go with Captain O, looking for kids to help. Captain. I would really, I really want to Photoshop this and put in the word molest with a X through it, and then help under. It. Captain O overhears Mike and Jenny talking. I'm bored. Everything costs so much. Wish I had a job. Me too. I'd love to earn some extra money after school. <laughs> Lynn has a problem too. My bike broke again. Hey, Jeff, you have a neat bike. How'd you get it? Captain O told me how, and you and he can help you too. Oh, my God. <laughs> Captain O to the rescue. Hey, kids, why don't you start your own business? My friends at Olympic Sales Club have a super way for you to earn money in your free time. And great prizes, too. Like a bike, sports equipment, radios, cameras, video games, even a home computer. And I like the panel where the kids are all going, awesome, sounds great, let's all do it. (laughs) Olympic will send you everything you need free. Free show and sell album of high quality all occasion cards, personalized stationery, and unique gift items. Free catalog of 100 famous name prizes, each fully described and shown in full color. Free membership card. 
customer receipts, order blanks, and complete instructions. You can earn prizes or cash, too. Call now. I'm sorry, I'm not going to go to the guy in the superhero outfit to earn extra money. <laughs> that just sounds like, sounds like an after-school special in the making. <laughs> and then you have all the details of the Captain uh, the Olympic program. Um, how sucky do you think that computer was? And how many freaking greeting cards do you think you had yeah. to sell yeah. to get the computer? See, that's the thing. Yeah, you'd have to. Yeah, I I, I can't imagine. Maybe the one thing in that ad that you might actually get would be like the pocket calculator. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, the but, bike. But you know, <laughs> come on. It, It'd be funny to find out that all these CEOs of major corporations in the 90s grew up selling kept were like the best Captain O sellers <laughs> on the face of the planet. Some somehow I don't think Donald Trump ever sold grit. I'm just I'm going out on a limb there, but I just don't believe it. But wouldn't you like to see ads today of him going, "You need to sell grit." <laughs> um <laughs> Apparently, you can get 75 free Matchbox Puffy stickers. Um, it's the best car deal in town. Okay. <laughs> Apparently, these cars came with stickers, and these ads are so random. Yeah, they are. They're completely random. There, there's no rhyme or reason. Was there anything decent in the... Well, there is Joust. Is there any, I'm trying to see if there's anything different in the... Uh, in the All-Star Squadron, but so far everything's, uh... Wow, the ads look a lot better in the Infinity Incorporated book on yeah. that better paper. Because <laughs> that military diamond sale ad looks like crap. The only thing that seems to be different is the back covers are different, because in the All-Star one you've got, uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, the video game, and in the other one you've got Masters of the Universe video game. That's the only thing I see that's that's. I, I look at that aid. AD and D game, and I hear mermaid, mermaid. <laughs> so it looks like that adventure game for the. I can't remember if that was for a computer or for uh, for twenty six hundred, but it was pretty much crap. <laughs> if it ain't Scottish, it's crap. <laughs> well, you want to round this one out with uh, elsewhere in the DC multiverse. Yes, sir. What do we got going on? I love this cover on Action Comics 555 celebrating the... Uh, which anniversary was this? doesn't say. just says celebrating the anniversary of Supergirl's debut in Action Comics. It's by uh, Eduardo Barreto. I, I like that cover oh, a lot. It's that costume I love. Yeah. I love the headband. Yeah, I like that one, too. Uh, we've got uh, Catman cover to Batman, which is kind of cool. Uh, we have Superman teaming up with the Blackhawks. Yeah. See, I don't like the, the the Catman cover on Batman 371, but I really like the one where it's him and Batman fighting on Detective Comics yeah. by Gene Colan. That's actually really cool. And this this may be this may have been my introduction to Catman. I'm trying to remember. This this may have been just by the nature of that cover. That may have been where the idea was kind of cemented in my head that that Catman as like the anti-Batman would be kind of a cool character. And then Gail Simone would do wonderful things with him in um, Villains United and Secret Six. Yeah, yeah. Really, uh, we we have a 
you can tell that this was an 80s computer villain bite. <laughs> it should B-Y-T-E. say bite me on the cover. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it kind of sells itself. Uh, that Jonah Hex cover is kind of um, strange. Yeah, I don't, um, don't care for that one too much. I, 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 and again, this is me and my lack of experience with Jonah Hex. I don't really think Jonah works with the supernatural all that well. Um, unless I'm completely misreading that. I think there's supposed to be guys in costumes. Okay. I don't like it because Jonah has like an expression of fear on his face, which just, that's not an expression I'm, I like Jonah to have, you know? <laughs> I've never seen this before, but doesn't really scare me. <laughs> Who we'll is see if the... they can bleed. Oh, that's Ross Andrew. I don't like that cover on uh, on the Justice League issue right there. It's Is that Replicon or, or <laughs> the Mad God set? Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's Mad cool. God. Yeah, okay. It's I a pretty cool that. Legion of Superheroes cover though. Of <laughs> Brainiac Five falling. I don't care for that one either. Again, it's that it's that weird phase of of Giffen's where he was using a lot of heavy inks and I, I don't know I just don't care for that as much as his earlier stuff on that run I do like this cover on the uh the Manhunter reprints though by yes. uh, by Walt Simonson that's nice Apparently this is the issue of Nathaniel Dusk which is number 4 where he gets kicked in the nuts He actually uh, they shoot him up with rat poison which is just oh nasty Yeah and he's Damn. he's having a real bad day on that cover <laughs> we got Superboy getting um, violated by a comet, it looks <laughs> like. That looks rough. We've got Ronin number five, and I really don't care, because I have never had any inclination to read nah. Ronin. Nah, me either. At all. Um, just, just nothing about it looked appealing to me. You've got... Uh, Got a pretty cool uh, Swamp Thing cover. Yeah, I need to reread this issue because I remember that actually being a really cool one, but I don't remember exactly what was going on. And it, it, it's just neat because, you know, the the Swamp Thing title hardly ever, you know, it, it was basically it was a Vertigo book years before there was a Vertigo. So it hardly mm-hmm. ever crossed over with anything mainstream in the in the DC universe. Yet in this issue, you've got the Justice League in it, which was kind of different. The only thing I didn't like about that issue is that the opening page is extremely pretentious. There are a bunch of gods who will live at the top, above the world. It's like, oh god, <laughs> welcome to Alan Moore, dude. I know, but still, you know, well, there's things of Alan Moore that I like. It's kind of like Grant Morrison. Sometimes I like Grant Morrison, and sometimes I'm like, oh, dear God, really? Got Star Trek, the final chapter, apparently. Mm-hmm. It's good stories. I, I never liked the uh, the art team on that book of uh, Ricardo. And and, yeah, I just don't care for them at all. But uh, But the story was actually pretty cool. They have a really cool Eduardo Barreto... Supergirl cover there. I like that. Uh, who stole Supergirl's life? Uh, the interior is done by Carmine Infantino. If if they start kissing shortly after on that cover, I'm totally going to buy that issue. That looks really. <laughs> I just have this image of uh, let's see, it's 1984, so you're you're what about 16 years old? You going up to like the counter, going, do they kiss in this? <laughs> Person going, I don't think so. And you put it back on the shelf. Is this the all-hot lesbian issue? I just need to know. Thank you. 
And if it does, do you have a bathroom <laughs> and tissues? I'm going to need two copies of this. <laughs> we are wrong. <laughs> uh, we've got the first part of the Judas contract in Tales of the Teen Titans number 42. I love that story. Mm-hmm. Um, thriller number six. I'm still waiting for the Michael Jackson cover. <laughs> Apparently, Vigilante number six was uh, was uh, playing Mortal Kombat before it came out with Fatality. <laughs> Finish him. <laughs> Let's see what else we got here. World's finest. I kind of like that one where That's Superman the- and Metropolis are all drowning in snot, apparently. That's pretty gross. Unfortunately, the story is written by David Anthony Kraft. Here there be crap. I'm assuming. <laughs> That's a great title for an issue. <laughs> Here there be crap. Lo, there came a crap. And lo, there came a day. A day unlike any other. When the latest issue of your favorite comic just sucks ass. <laughs> and on that day, Back to the Bins was born. <laughs> Right there at the same time, too. We should not record after having crappy weeks at work. Uh, I'm telling you. So I guess that's it for this week. Um, All-Star Squadron has not been reprinted. Infinity Incorporated number two has. (gasps) In the uh, Generations. uh, I forget what the name of the trade is, but go to Amazon.com through the twotruefreaks.lipson.com link. Yes, please. And uh, order the book so that you can follow along with us. And uh, just to entice it further to the men in the audience who like boobies, Wonder Woman gets naked. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. dead, so you got to deal with how that makes you feel. Oh, a little necrophilia never hurt anybody. <laughs> it's not like she can fight back. <laughs> I could make a black hand joke, but I decided against it. Oh, God. That is it for this week, folks. Be sure to visit our website at www.twotruefreaks.lipson.com for more exciting podcasts featuring both Scott and myself as as well as several other sad and pathetic human beings who have nothing better to do with their time. Join our forum at www.forumforgeeks.com where you can comment on this week's show and interact with us and your fellow listeners. We have built a great, fun, and friendly community there. We'd love for you to be part of it. It would be great if we could all meet at Friendly's. Because I haven't eaten at Friendly's in years, and they have great burgers. Did you guys have Friendly's in New York? Yes. Oh, God, I miss Friendly's. As always, you can reach us by email at talesofthejsa at gmail.com. And, of course, Scott and I are both on Facebook. Speaking of Facebook, if you enjoy the show, won't you please take a moment to mention us on the social networking site of your choice whenever you're listening? Word of mouth is still the best way to let others know about our show. And we really appreciate your helping to growing our listenership. And I'd like to personally apologize to Christopher J. Warden for not giving him credit for calling me out on um, on not really commenting on something Scott said in a previous <laughs> previous episode. <laughs> I, uh, I said, that was some guy on Facebook. And he's like, uh, guys, it was me. 
so uh, I felt bad about that. And I suddenly really hope that I, uh, I got that name right, because that would be doubly embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, folks, and be sure to join us next time for the tales of the Justice Society of America. <laughs> <laughs>